The North Forker Weekend Podcast is brought to you by Sherry Winter Parker of Corcoran. Sherry is the North Fork's top real estate agent and top producer from 2005 to 2022. Hi, welcome to another episode of the North Forker Podcast. I am Mickalina Tafant. I'm joined today with my full team. I have Tara Smith here. Hey, Tara. Hey, Mickalina. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Hey, Victoria. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Lily Parnell, you also are here today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. We're here today to talk about our April magazine issue um, with a spring home theme. This feels so right and so good for this time of year, um, and I am super excited for this exact issue. Um, on the cover, you're going to see a beautiful image, um, one from the interior of Richard Wines and Nancy Gilbert's Jamesport home. They have the incredible Winsway Farm. Um, I was lucky enough to meet Richard and Nancy back in 2014 as I was planning my wedding on the North Fork. Um, I met Richard at the Jamesport Meeting House, and um, you may have read about that in our February issue of This Old Place. Um, and when my fiance and I kind of got to talking with Richard, we somehow got into the topic of preserving the North Fork, and he so lovingly wel- welcomed us into his property at Winsway Farm. Um, and the second we stepped foot on the property, we just kind of felt immediately home. And it was so amazing. They care so much about their property. They pour so much love and so much effort into it, um, into their land and into the buildings that they preserve. And Victoria, you got to write a really gorgeous story on this exact thing. Actually, it's funny. When I first moved to Jamesport, um, I like th- I saw on the map that there was like beach property around the block and so I actually like almost started to like walk on their property (laughs) and then I was like oh no that's like private property so it was so cool to be able to actually like go and see what this area looks like because I would pass it all the time and um yeah so basically I wrote about Richard Wines and his wife Nancy Gilbert um and they own this property called Winsway Farm in Jamesport um and it's this beautiful historic property that's been in Wines family uh for generations and incorporates really all the best parts of the North Fork there's woodlands a farm orchards, beehives, and about 15 or so really beautiful gardens filled with all kinds of plants. Um, But the most interesting part of the property is the collection of historic buildings that sit on it. Uh, Wines and uh, Nancy are actually former historians and collect these buildings. They collect buildings like I collect teapots. Like (laughs) it's wild. They're just like, okay, let's add another building. And it's so incredible to drive past. Like you said, it's just so alluring to even see from the street. Yeah. Um, And so part of this collection, there's a schoolhouse from 1892, a six-seater outhouse, an old bungalow, and their home, part of which dates back to uh, the 1790s. Um, And their home was actually a Valentine's Day gift from Wines to Gilbert, which is really sweet. Um, And their story is really fascinating. So I recommend learning more about them. Yeah, it's a really beautiful story, and it is so interesting. um, And they are just the best people. And speaking of making yourself kind of feel at home, Lily, you did a great story on curating a bed and breakfast and offering that home away from home feeling. Yeah, this month I wrote a piece highlighting four different bed and breakfasts along the North Fork. I talked to the Coffee House, Sanino Vineyard B&B, the Inn at Orient, and the Farmhouse. And I posed them this question of what are the ingredients that go into cultivating a memorable experience for guests who stay at their homes? Uh, Hosting people in your homes, obviously, is not something everyone can do, let alone letting strangers into your home week after week. Uh, These people definitely all have a knack for it. 
these four bed and breakfasts uh, dedicate a lot of TLC into their homes. Most of these homes are very historic. Uh, some of them date back to the 1800s. And many combine their design with the history of and storytelling of the area itself. Each of these B&Bs are unique in their own way. Uh, and whether it's their second season welcoming guests or their veterans in the industry, each are worth checking out for a weekend of pampering. Yeah, it's so cool that, you know, it's not just a place to stay. It's not just a hotel or motel, which are great and wonderful, but it's so cool that you really get to go and experience something different when you're staying at a BnB, and b and you get a real feel for the people that have created it. Um, I had written in my editor's note that at this time of year, it is spring, we had written this kind of closer to the end of winter, um, and I am just so eager to bring nature inside my home at this time of year. The second I see any yellow flower or anything, I'm like, I have to cut it and bring it in. I know that sounds not very nice to the nature itself, but I need it in my home. Um, and Ian Love is a local artist. Um, I, I'm assuming he might feel the same way. I'll have to call him and ask if he brings yellow flowers into his home. But what he definitely do is uses discarded wood and creates these incredible one-of-a-kind pieces that are imperfect and beautifully so, um, whether they are benches or chairs or office furnishings and stools. Um, they are just amazing. Uh, Charity Roby had written this story for us, but Tara Smith is here today to, to talk about it. Yeah, Charity Roby wrote a really beautiful profile on Ian Love, who is a musician turned artist. For the first 40 years of his life, he played guitar in a band called Rival Schools. He recorded two albums. He toured the world. And after leaving the band, he was a producer. He created music for movies and TV. Um, five years ago, he was going through some stuff in his life, um, a couple of, of family things, and he turned to woodworking. Um, and something really kind of shifted in his soul, in his life. He started making objects for his home. Uh, which is out in Hampton Bays, but something was really resonating with people, I think, who are seeing these pieces, and he's kind of turned it into, um, you know, a more formal thing. So, so at first, Ian started making just objects for his home in Hampton Bays, and as people started to see them and catch on, something started to resonate. Uh, Ian met a man who lived over in Spionk and sold firewood, so he had this amazing supply of gnarled and diseased parts of trees that... I think Ian saw them and, and just got really inspired by them. So he bought a chainsaw and got a studio going in Riverhead. And since then, he's he's taken all of these kind of discarded, rotted pieces of wood, sometimes sourced from the side of the road, sometimes sourced from the sky uh, with a tree lot. And he's transformed them into, you know, everything from stools and tables to chairs and other furnishings that can be found all over. Um, what really struck me about, you know, reading this piece is, is how he describes what he's drawn to. So there's certain types of wood like black walnut and, and wood that's, um, spalted, which I just learned means, you know, they're marked by these sort of irregular black lines that are the result of fungal decay. Um, I think there's something really kind of poetic and meaningful about that. You know, you're taking something that's thrown away, broken, dying, and turning it into something so beautiful. Um, it's applicable to so many things in life. And by the end of Charity's story, you get this big reveal about, you know, what has really motivated him and inspired him. And it's heartbreaking, but it's also really beautiful and relatable. Um, so it was a great feature. The art is stunning. 
uh, as always, by David Benthal. And definitely don't miss this piece uh, if you pick up our April issue. Yeah, this is a really beautiful story that was told and really unfolded in such a a way that you don't anticipate. Um, And yes, Tara, the art is incredible. Um, It really captures, I think, who um, Ian Love is and what he does. And it really is so meaningful to have a piece of his in your home and to know that that piece maybe had been, you know, had struggled and had been diseased and was discarded. But then it becomes this incredible um, feature of your home that kind of reminds you that every time you pass it, um, I would imagine that that feels really good. Um, Another thing that should feel really good is planting native plants. So Victoria, you make the case for native plants here. I think you did a great job. I'm a huge, huge, huge supporter of native plants and think that they are absolutely necessary. Yeah, I agree. Um, So I wrote a story called The Case for Native Plants, and really it was an exploration of how native plants are being used on Long Island and um, why they're beneficial. Um, So I spoke with Tara Lynn Reynolds um, from Group for the East End and Anthony Marinello from the Long Island Plant Initiative. Um, His group actually goes out and collects seeds of native plants on Long Island and then distributes these uh, native seeds to the nursery industry. Um, The story also includes some tips for growing native plants, um, and Reynolds and Marinello in the story talk um, a bit about how really easy it is to incorporate natives on any property, even outside of small apartments, which I I live in a small apartment, so I thought that that was really helpful. Yeah, I think that's really great. It just kind of shows that you don't have to have acres of land to do this. You can start in a potted garden um, on your, you know, back back porch. Um, there are definitely so many ways to to do this and to get involved in native plants and to learn the benefits of it for sure. Um, speaking of planting, Lily, you did a list on some seeds to get started with right now. Yeah, spring has finally sprung here, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, on my drive here, I finally saw my first cherry blossom, which was super exciting. <laughs> uh, being from Florida, I don't, I never saw the seasons change, so I'm always so excited to now see it and see the trees come back. Um, and for our list, I thought it was a good idea to kind of create a, a short guide on the types of plants to get into your garden early, uh, whether it be vegetables, herbs, fruits, or flowers. Um, I made a list of things that should be planted before it really starts to get hot out here and where to find them locally. Yeah, this was a good one. And I did follow your guide. Um, Thankfully, I've had this for a little bit and have had access to this document. But we did plant some peas and some carrots in our garden at home. Um, And I'm super excited to watch them sprout and to grow. Uh, It feels really good to get in the garden. You're on the ball this year. I have to get my garden started. I'm slacking. It's It's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Victoria, um, another thing that I love to do, and I think that you and I share this, is to eat at the treatery. And you ate something that you really loved there. Let's hear it. Yeah. So the best thing I ate stories are definitely my favorite assignments. Um, And this one was particularly great because I was able to write it at the treatery. If it isn't obvious by now, I love the treatery. It's dangerously close to my house and I'm always stopping in to grab something sweet. Um, And for this story, I wrote about the Trace Leches cake um, there. The cake is moist and fluffy and just the right amount of sweetness. And um, one cool thing about it is actually that the recipe comes from one of the newer bakers there. So baker Erica Alvazuris had the recipe passed down to her by her great aunt um, who lives in Guatemala. And um, when Christina, the owner of the treatery, saw uh, the recipe, she was super excited to collaborate with her and bring it uh, to life in the bake shop. So I thought that that was a really cool um, 
kind of result of this collaboration. Yeah, it's really special and really different. Um, and I think it's great. I have not gotten to eat that yet, but I have to. After reading your piece, I was like, I need this. Okay, it's time to go to the treatery. Um, maybe we should quit the podcast right now, everyone, and head on over there. <laughs> I'm I don't think they're open today. <laughs> <I'm totally down. laughs> we'll be the first ones there knocking on the door, though, when they are open on Thursday, I believe. Um, and Tara, to wrap this up, you wrote a piece on this old place, uh, Horton Point Lighthouse. It is a spectacular, spectacular place. Yeah, I love this series because we take you, uh, you know, into the past on a little historical tour of the North Fork. And this month, uh, we explored Horton Point Lighthouse. It's a little bit off the beaten path, I will admit, in Southhold, but it's worth the trip. Uh, you'll obviously find the lighthouse. And in my opinion, it has the best view of the Long Island Sound you'll find anywhere. And it also has a tie to a founding father, which I uh, learned about through reporting this story out. So Horton Point, it's uh, nearly 60 feet tall, and the lighthouse itself was commissioned way back in 1790 by George Washington. So before he was president, uh, the story goes that he was a land surveyor and he called for a lighthouse in the area because there were something like 13 shipwrecks that occurred uh, in the waters below the bluff, uh, earning the nickname Dead Man's Cove, which is a little spooky. Um, Horton Point, thanks to the work of the Historical Society and uh, docent turned author Mary Corby, um, recently an untold story of, of the lighthouse has recently been brought to light. Um, that's through the story of Stella Prince. She was the only woman to serve as lighthouse keeper in the early 1900s. Uh, Mary, if you've ever listened to her give a talk on the book, she'll say that she was, you know, so intrigued by the story that she wanted to read about it, but she couldn't, so she just wrote the book. Um, her efforts have paid off. Earlier this year, the Coast Guard added Stella to their official list of women lighthouse keepers, which I think is really cool. So you can learn all about that history uh, on the in the museum, which is uh, housed in the lighthouse keepers' quarters. They also have some other artifacts um, from some whaling captains who used to live in the area, an exhibit on rum running, which is just fascinating. Um, and the best part is you can climb. There's just 27 steps up to the top. It's a little narrow. I think there's one climb you have to make, uh, but it is well worth it. Uh, and then the grounds itself are just beautiful. You can walk on a nature trail, stop and have a picnic, and also make your way down to uh, the beach below. This is uh, a little bit early of a story because the lighthouse doesn't officially open for the season until Memorial Day, but from there it's open weekends all the way through mid-September. Uh, full disclaimer, don't park on the street. That's for Southhold residents only. Don't get a ticket, um, but it's just $5 to park in their lot. And uh, you can really make a nice uh, day, day of it. Yeah, it's a great spot to really spend many hours, if not a full day. Like Tara said, you can barbecue, bring a picnic. Um, you can walk down to the beach. You can, of course, explore the lighthouse and the grounds. It's a great spot, and I'm so glad that you highlighted it this month. Okay, well, that is a wrap on our magazine. We have other amazing stories in here as well that highlight home. Pick it up this week on newsstands. It is out and about. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.